It's Film Friday. This week, let's get into some shenanigans. In this week's film review, Katniss Everdeen sets down her bow and arrow and gets into a little raunchy foul play with Evan Evanson as we dive into what appears to be a nostalgic, gut-wrenching, laughing comedy of yesteryear. Let's get into it. Hello, all you cinephiles, film nerds, and movie fictionados. Welcome to Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks. I am the host, Jay Starks. Welcome, guys. It's Film Friday, so you already know. You already know. We're going to be doing some movie reviews, right? I mean, this is the third week of November. It's, tur- of, of, or should I say, third week of Turkey Month. So, yeah, you know, let's get into it. Um, This week, we are reviewing No Hard Feelings that debuted in 2023, and it is rated horror 103 minutes it's a comedy romance Ooh, we're gonna get right into it in a second i haven't seen a comedy you know i wanted to switch it up a little bit because you know for october we did a lot of halloween films so i wanted to kind of get some little comedy a little comedy shakes which also works because i'm in the process of developing a sitcom so i've been in a comedy mode lately so i was like you know what Let's do this. I also I happen to have a table read for this sitcom that I'm developing and an actor friend of mine suggested to watch this film. So thank you, Josiah. If you're listening to this, thank you for the recommendation. He said it was fantastic. And sure. okay, I believe him. So we're going to get down to it and let's get into our log line. You ready now? I might have to switch it up because this is a comedy. Yeah, let's 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 switch it up real quick. Okay, here here it comes. On the brink of losing her home, Maddie finds an intriguing job listing. Helicopter parents looking for someone to bring their introverted 19-year-old son out of his shell before college. She has one summer to make him a man <laughs> or die trying. How did y'all like that? That was like, you know, I normally go a little bit a little bit more staccato, you know, with the dramatic turn. So that one I was trying to do a little upbeat. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Anyways, we'll see. <laughs> so as you can tell, this is a comedy, a rated R comedy. I haven't seen many of these in a long time. I thoroughly enjoyed these growing up. Um, they they were you could go and like kind of turn off your brain, which is good for me, especially being an, an aspiring filmmaker, actor, writer, director, producer, etc. So these comedies would allow me to turn off my brain because oftentimes with more dramatic turns, I I tend to really zone in and I might have to watch them several times in order to really like enjoy them. If that makes sense or not think so technical about the film, let's say like that. Anyway, whatever you're not here for that. Let's get into some of our top built cast and crew breakdown. So starting off, our director is Mr. Gene Stupinski. Oh, I oh nope, I messed it up. I see look, I almost got excited because I thought I said the last name correct the first time. Y'all know I struggle with these names sometimes. But I also don't want to like mess up the names, so it caused me to overthink said names, and then I mess it up. So let's try that again. The director, this film, No Hard Feelings, is by director and writer Gene Stu. Yeah, Stupnitsky. Stupnitsky? It's got to be Stupnitsky. I think I said it right the first time. Anyway, Gene Stupnitsky directed and actually wrote this one. Now, you're wondering, who is Gene Stupnitsky? 
And I have the answer for you. So this Mr. Gene is actually like from at least when I gazed upon his IMDb credits seems to be very much more so a writer. Now, he has directed some other films, which is kind of cool. He directed this one. Of course, he directed Good Boys in 2019, which was produced by um, Evan and Seth Rogen. And that was, you know, it had once again some of that r-rated comedy kind of feel i didn't watch that one so who knows that one might end up on the podcast later on but so he directed that he also directed bad teacher with cameron diaz which i did see in 2011 wasn't i liked it because it was a different um film than i'm used to seeing cameron diaz and not to say she has done comedies like there's something about mary is a classic but bad teacher was pretty good it wasn't my favorite so anyway, that's Mr. Gene Stupnitsky, director and writer. But he's not the only one that wrote on this. No, 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 no. He also wrote with John Phillips. John Phillips has also some previous, a lot of writing credits, but he also was the associate producer for Good Boys. So there's a little, you know, our, what, one degree of separation <laughs> between the two of those. He was also, um, he's acted in a couple of things. So he played Malcolm in New Girl. He also was an actor in Dirty Grandpa as well as executive producer. And he also was an actor in The Office. So any of the Office fans out there, if you remember the episode in 2013 where there was a a young dapper looking gentleman named the director. That's him. So that is John Phillips, in case you're wondering, who is John Phillips? Anywho, so those two wrote this bad boy and Gene directed it. Now, for our producers, we got a couple here. We have Justine. Oh, I know I'm going to mess this up. Justine. I'm not. I'm just going to skip that last name. Uh, <laughs> go to IMDb, guys. I do not want to butcher this name. And I know I will. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to skip that. But uh, Justine, Miss J-Law herself is a producer on this film. So, yeah, actor and producer. Okay. Naomi Odenkirk. Now, if you're wondering, oh. Like any comedy people out there, if you listen to this because you like comedies and you wonder, Odenkirk, why does that sound familiar? That is because she is a producer, manager, and she used to do some art department stuff of, yes, the Bob Odenkirk. So she is the wife and apparently really talented wife of comedian, actor, writer, improv, sketch uh, producer, um, the whole nine. Bob Odenkirk does a lot of shit y'all and he's amazing so this is the wife which is super duper cool but she's also the manager of actor comedian bill Hader. yeah so that's really really exciting um in addition to we have two more producers we have mark whose name i'm going to provisiero <laughs> um so hopefully that was right but this gentleman he tends to he also produced produces a lot too so he produced Pen 15, which is a, t- a comedy TV series, it's stylized as pen, E-N, 1-5, but it's supposed to look like penis, essentially. So I-, I-, I didn't do it. So that's why he's tagged to this. So it's probably has a little bit of that that feel. But he also works for Odenkirk um, Provisiero Entertainment. So Odenkirk and this gentleman, Mark, pretty much own this entertainment um, company. But producer on No Hard Feelings. And also producer on Nobody, which is on my list. If you wonder what Nobody is, remember I just mentioned Bob Odenkirk. He was the star 
of that. And I know he produced it. I'm not sure if he wrote it. We'll see if we actually end up reviewing it. But I do kind of want to see that film. He kind of took a turn for action. Think um, Liam Neeson style. Uh, what's that? I will find whoever you are. I will find you and I will kill you or whatever. That's his accent, right? Anyway, it has that kind of vibes for me when I saw it. So I do want to see that one. We'll review that one coming up. And last but not least for producers, we have Alex Sachs. Uh, so this woman, this lovely woman, she was a producer for the Florida Project, Wildlife, Book Club and Thoroughbreds. So I got to be honest, I haven't seen any of those films, to be completely honest with you. But I am familiar with the Florida Project, which is directed by Sean Baker, because it was a very interesting. Um, what's that premise, should I say, because it, it, it follows like this this kid that lives uh and plays around this hotel so it seemed really interesting to watch i haven't seen it yet so going to probably give that one a watch maybe i don't know when but that you know that might come down a lot anywho let's keep rolling here while, while while we while we're getting good okay so moving on to some of our more technical stuff here we have a composer mr michael dana michael is spelt with a y by the way this time which is freaking cool i've never seen that shit before um the other the music also by jessica rose weiss uh so known for cinderella extension and noah and i'm sorry i forgot mr michael dana was life of pi moneyball and little miss sunshine now our cinematographer oh oh man this one's gonna be messing me up guys uh let me spell it for you it's e-i-g-i-l last name b-r-y-l-d so i'm going to take a stab at it and Eagle Brilled, maybe. Anywho, hopefully that's that's akin to it. You know what I really, you, you know what I ended up doing on my IMDb. I know a lot of these people don't necessarily set it up, but after mine was set up, I went through and did like the phonetic breakdown. And I really wish a lot more people had that on their IMDb because I was like, yeah, let me let me say this correctly. Anywho, uh. Briled was the director for In Bruges, which is cool, 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 cool. In Bruges, Deep Water, The Last King of Scotland, and for all you Netflix fans out there, House of Cards, cinematographer for nine episodes, and DOP, director of photography, for two episodes. And we kind of went into the difference between a cinematographer and a cinematographer on, um, was it two episodes ago the two-parter uh episode that i did with my cinematographer friend now we have last but not least we have brent white who is the editor who also edited the other guys a simple favor and 40 year old version so definitely a comedic editor for this one here uh you know what i, I gotta be honest i don't know why but editor is such a cool word for me to say it feels right, you know, when it comes because it involves like the back of the throat and, and the teeth and the tongue. I'm sorry, that's weird. But just if you listen to this, just say editor out loud. And it just it has this rolling punctuation that just is it's just one of the cool words that I like to say. I'm getting distracted, guys. All right. Now on to our art department uh, we have for production designer Russell Barnes. So Russell Barnes was known for. Art director for Only God Forgives, starring, uh, what is his, oh man, oh, I forgot his name, man, I'm forgetting the name, I'm seeing the face, Ryan Gosling, oh man, uh, anyway, let me, 
I'm not going to do it another side. I love Ryan Gosling when he does comedy films and he has a comedy film coming out that I would definitely be reviewing and it looks fucking hilarious. Anyway, back to Russell Barnes. So he was the art director for Only God Forgives, uh, art director for All Good Things, production designer for In the Shadow of the Moon and production designer for The Darkest Minds. Now, what's interesting about this gentleman is most of these have been pretty serious crime drama films right and this is almost kind of sort of well i, I would you know the opposite <laughs> so i mean production designer on americana i like looking at at his imdb when i was initially looking at it i didn't see many comedy movies so this would be really cool i'm not saying that that's going to change anything uh but it's interesting because the world that you live in with the comedy, you know, is typically a lot brighter from the colors and the lighting. And yeah, I just I'm looking. I mean, one of the one of the earliest productions on credits that they had was for Oculus, which is a horror film. So, yeah, this is going to be interesting just to see how the adaption, I guess, of their skill into the comedy foray. Anywho. Last but not least, guys, we're getting into our top build cast. As I already mentioned, Miss J Law, Jennifer Lawrence, for people who aren't J Law fans. Um, not only does she serve as producer, but she's also top build actress as Maddie Barker. Maddie with a D Barker. And then we also have Mr. Andrew Barth Fieldman as Percy Becker. Now, Andrew Barth Fieldman was fairly new to me. I he, well, in general, he's fairly new to the film world in general. Um, a lot of his IMDb credits pretty much start in 2021 with a couple in 2020. So that's really interesting. But what's pretty cool about Mr. Andrew Barth Fieldman is he is a theater heavy actor. So I'm definitely going to follow his career a little bit more and then hopefully look at some of his past projects being a theater trained actor myself as well. So Mr. Andrew Barth Fieldman um, starred in uh, Evan Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Now, I do think they might have had a different person at one point in time. You know, they sometimes switch cast members and what have you. So, yeah. So he was in Dear Evan and Dear Evan Hansen, if you've seen that one. But he was also what was really cool when I was doing the research on this is he was doing a lot of this thing called Broadway Who Done It. So after Broadway shut down with the coronavirus and everything else or COVID-19 for those um who like to use the cool term for it uh, when the world shut down, essentially he and a bunch of other Broadway stars would do online whodunit mystery theater productions. So that was pretty cool. So he's done a bunch of those. So I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I might go back and look at him. Maybe give a little, feel a little, you know, nostalgic about the online only phase of, of all of our lives. Anywho, moving on, we have Laura Benati, who plays Allison Becker in here. Uh, so Allison Becker was on Life and Beth in, in way back in the day. Man, oh, man, you know, I feel kind of old. You know, you you know, when you look at stuff and you're like, man, that was that was a while ago. Anyway, whatever. Um, Life and Beth. She was also in Gossip Girl. Uh, so she played Catherine Kiki Hope, never watched Gossip Girl. I do not think that's the type of thing that I will watch, but she also was herself and a performer on a late, late show with Stephen Colbert. Remember that T is silent. 
So that's interesting. And, you know, to round it out, normally I try to do like the top three, but I kind of got to give a shout out to Mr. Matthew Broderick. Uh, yeah, that guy. That's where I was saying I feel a little bit old because, you know, this man was in The Producers in 2005, which was a comedy musical. It was amazing. He was in it with Nathan Lane. They did it on Broadway and then they redid it as a film. The film was good. I didn't see the Broadway. But more importantly, what really made me feel old, guys, was looking at the release of War Games. War Games came out in 1983. And it was one of the first films I remember seeing him in. Uh, and essentially with that one, it was about... Um, increasing the likelihood of war because i think he was like a hacker oh i might want to watch this again and do a review for it. but i think he was like a hacker and it was it was really good but it came out in 83 i was born in 85 now i'm telling my age but it was like oh man i'm i'm getting up there man it was that was a long time ago but anyway the more popular one if you haven't seen war games most people have seen or heard of bueller bueller he was Ferris Bueller, the titular character in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which came out in 86. So I was one years old at that time. No, I didn't watch it when I was one years old. I watched it a lot later. But man, I loved that that film, especially that scene with the um, rushing home before his parents. Family Guy satired it a little bit and I've seen it in other films. Anywho, before y'all know, I will get distracted talking about actors. I love this shit. Um, so that's it for our pre-production uh, segment. Stay tuned. We got a little bit of the intermission. It's going to be a little bit smaller and we're changing things up a little bit. And then we're going to get into our post-production breakdown for No Hard Feelings. Stay tuned, guys. Hey, folks, thank you so much for listening to the first portion of our uh, pre-production segment for No Hard Feelings. Hopefully, once again, I'm still working this a little bit, so I'm trying to get a little bit tighter on the pre-production so I could really have more time for some of the sexy post-production um, part of this particular podcast. So thank you so much for rocking me if you have all this time. If you're just catching up, thank you and welcome to Flicks and Scripts. Uh, what else? Yeah. I do film reviews. This is fun. Sometimes it's with me. Sometimes it's with friends. Let you know for December, December, we got some interesting films coming up. We're doing at least two Christmas films. They may not be the Christmas films that you think, but tune in, get prepared and be ready for next month of December. And do me a favor. I'm thinking of changing my formatting a little bit here. Like normally during our intermission, I might kind of tell what movie i have coming up but i'm thinking i might switch it up we'll see so i'm trying to kind of see and like drop little nuggets i guess should i say just to kind of maybe get people excited about the film so from now on i'm hoping we'll see how this works or how busy i get um i might be dropping a little teaser on tuesday i'm gonna call it teaser tuesdays with flicks and scripts yeah flips and scripts yeah sorry i almost forgot the name of the podcast y'all anyway on instagram if you follow me the podcast flicks and scripts with jay starks that's where i'll be dropping little teasers on tuesdays um on what the upcoming film is trying to you know keep it a little a little mysterious a little bit sexy and then that way if you decide you want to watch the film too on tuesday you know what film it is and then you have what wednesday thursday two days 
two and a half days, depending on when you listen to this, to <laughs> to possibly watch the film and see if you agree or disagree. Once again, give me a follow at Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks on Instagram, and let's get into the post production breakdown. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back uh, to the post-production breakdown for No Hard Feelings. Yeah, going to get right into it. Um, This was a nice, quick, what, uh, hour and 30, barely, hour and three minutes. Um, So, man, it's one of those films that really, you know, moved, so to speak. So, anyway, we're going to go ahead and um, let's start our breakdown. I first off want to say that I enjoyed the film. It was um definitely had more of a nostalgic feel where very much kind of a, a throwback film, you know, um almost like you know the films that I that I experienced and watched when I was when I first graduated and those first couple years of college. So that was pretty cool. Anyway, um, let's get into some of our technical breakdown. Alrighty. So let's see where to begin. You know what? I know I always uh, begin with art <laughs> department because that's typically my, I don't know. What would you say? My, my most, ex- I don't know. The thing that I feel that I can speak on the most from an objective standpoint, you know, because I do it. Um, And, you know, a lot of stuff like the acting and everything else is so much more subjective. But let me tell you, this production design was fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was very pleasant to my eyeballs. Right. Um, So what was what what I kind of, of course, I don't know for certain, but the color palette to me definitely had blues, greens, some of the um, browns, of course, like a very naturalistic kind of thing um, feel. Now, the the film took place well, supposedly took place in Montauk, New York, near like pretty much a seaside uh, town. I didn't look up Montauk and I've never been. I'm assuming it's close to the water ish, or at least it seems like it is. Um, so I think that was kind of cool. A little um, connection, connecting piece almost where because they're fairly close to the ocean, there were a lot of blues and the greens and the lushness. And I thoroughly enjoy that is a seaside town kind of feel and all of the blues that permeated throughout the film kind of carried on that sea breeze um oceanside town feel and i greatly appreciate it plus it was a very pleasant on the eyes you know um so yeah the film across the board i believe definitely hit it within that blue family like blues are everywhere they're popping there's yellows for that natural tone to balance out the blues um, and they had those, those greens, but the greens, other than the lush environment, any of the other greens that were seen like from, uh, artwork in the film or different colors of inanimate objects and the clothing they wore had hints of blue in it. So if it was a, a, a green, it was a blue green or a, a teal or a, a 
powder blue or sea breeze blue, what have you. So I really, really liked it. And it, it made it pop. It definitely brought color to this environment, you know, and I greatly appreciate that for what they did with it. What I do enjoy as well was there weren't many instances of red, right? You had red pops from here and there um, that were carefully chosen, you know. I'm not speaking on like, you know, taillights from a car or what have you, but What's interesting to me, and I don't know this is purposeful because once again, this is kind of uh, subjective, but I do feel as though I, I liked how they utilized the reds. Um, you know, red typically is like, you know, passion and fieriness. And, and it was interesting how they did it because, you know, the blue represent coolness and um, calm, tranquility almost. And that's was once again permeating throughout the entire film other than these pops of red and uh jennifer lawrence's character maddie which i'll refer to as maddie going forward like she like she began the film wearing uh, no i guess technically when we first uh met her she was wearing a robe <laughs> but after that she was the first person to wear anything that was contradictory to those blue greens that I told you about and that was wearing red now the red was her uniform shirt for the bartending job that she had granted so the supporting actress who also came who was supposed to be her manager yes they also had red as well true but the red seemed I don't know to me I I felt and took it as though I felt as though when the reds occurred because the film dealing with um that transition from being a, a, a child because Percy being 19 is about to go to college. So he's, he's in that, that phase that we all kind of went through, you know, that awkward phase. And I don't mean awkward in the sense of us being shy, like this character, et cetera, but awkward as in we're no longer kids. We're becoming are supposed to be, and will be adults, you know? And I feel felt as though, uh, since Jennifer Lawrence's character, uh, Maddie was definitely adult. She, she had reds, right. And then a coworker. And what was interesting to me is like, uh, Percy didn't wear reds for the majority of the, of the film. But what I did like, and this is why I kind of wonder, was it done purposely was towards the end of the film when he finally gets his license or whatever, he's driving this bright red car like all of the other vehicles in this entire play didn't have red. So I wonder and feel like if this red was like, you know, signifying the adultness or something, <laughs> the adultness, I don't know what that means, but you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so I, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, if that is in fact the point of making those red moments like that outside of the, the uniform outside of it being uniform. But here, once again, this is production design of the big movie. They could have chose. Yes, it's a lobster shack or whatever. So lobsters are red when they're cooked, et cetera, et cetera. But it, I don't know, is Montauk known for lobsters? I don't know if that's a thing or what have you. Um, but you know what I'm saying? I just feel as though they could have chose a different uniform color if they wanted. And even a, a different, it could have just been seafood 
restaurant or whatever. So it was carefully, I, I feel as though it was carefully crafted, unless Montauk is known for lobsters, but still, they can still do seafood and not have the pops of red. So I really feel as though that red was chosen for that. And I liked it. Um, if that is the reasoning, because throughout the thing, like I said, you have her wearing red and there's a lot of blues, a lot of neutral colors, uh, creams and things of that nature. And then all of a sudden this second big pop of red came from the end when Percy's character was essentially fully realized almost, you know, so the whole film he's his parents want him to get out of the shell that he's in, uh, that he's placed himself in or that he can't seem to get out of. And then all of a sudden he burst forth during the, the car scene where he's driving and Maddie's character is on the hood and he drives on the beach and it's an ocean, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the, 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 that's the only time that this big pop of red happened. And I liked it. If that is in fact what it stood for, I really appreciated that because to me, that was like, um, officially his cherry has been popped. No pun intended since this whole film <laughs> kind of deals with, you know, him supposedly trying to lose his virginity, virginity to become more of a man, so to speak for whatever, you know, that's a whole different topic to discuss, but I really liked it. I'm like, Oh man, look at that bright red SUV. And it was right at the moment when he was fully becoming himself. I thought that was a nice touch. I really did thought that was cool and also you know the whole lobster claw the restaurant speaking of the restaurant um and the whole film was about percy coming out of his shell and i thought that was the once again don't know if the whole lobster thing was purposely meant but maybe i'm reading too much into it but i thought that was cool because you know shell lobsters red red you know red also stands for ambition and everything else so anyway if that is in fact the reason they did the color palettes the way they did loved it i really enjoyed those off pops of red it was really cool and the blues man it now i will say that i do feel as though from art uh, direction and especially production design color palette speaking and like once again i told you guys whenever i do the recording i'm normally playing it in the background just in case some things come to mind but once again like i just seen another section of her at her house and she has the dull burgundy kind of sort of like uh doors and shutters and garage color paint and even the flowers at her house are these bright reds you know and once again because she's the adult and then as soon as she starts <laughs> in line skating to his house she's rocking this blue you know and i don't know if they want the blue to represent youth especially because her blues were a bit brighter than like uh percy's father laird um, who definitely wore more of those pale blues, but it was still blues or, you know, the white with a, a little small hint of blue. And even the, the groundskeepers at their house had, you know, that bluish green or greenish blue, uh, landscaping outfits. But then a couple of the guys had like blue sleeves underneath. So it all had this blue green effect until she, and is, and it's also weird because she's doing the inline skating, which theoretically or i guess that may be the proper word but you know typically a lot of us or some of us may have inline skated when we were younger you know even if we didn't do the four wheels but you may have inline skated when you were younger so it's interesting that aside from when she was going to work trying to steal her car back that 
here she is. She puts on this blue sundress that once again, kind of takes away the fieriness from her character. Um, personality wise, I mean, personality is there, but it doesn't, it's not forward presenting as much. And she's wearing an inline skate all kind of make her look a little more youthful, if that makes sense. Um, and getting a little bit more into the whole theory of that, like her character was essentially stuck as well, right? So you have the Percy character that in his own shell, um, probably and more likely of the making of his helicopter parents, Laird and Allison. But then you have Maddie, who is literally living in her childhood home, you know, uh, that was her mom's. So in a way she's in the shell of her own making and she hasn't moved out of the, the, the town and it doesn't seem as though she really has a lot of ambition to, for lack of better terms, make something more of herself. She's just become complacent. So she's trapped in her own shell. Very cool. And I don't know if that's what the color palette, you know, was supposed to kind of showcase, but that's what I felt when I was watching it. I thought that was a really nice touch. Anywho, um, continuing on with some of the set design. The set design was amazing, man. The Becker's home, yeah, the Becker's home was amazing. I'm one of these people, like at the time, right now, 2023, I do not own a home. I, I was one of these people who didn't really have a desire to have to quote unquote buy a home. You know, that whole American get a home and picket fence, blah, blah, blah. But as I get older, I'm like, okay, it's not too bad, maybe. But I also, you know, I have friends that really like those old homes, you know, oh, got old bones. I'm like, I don't really care about that. I really like the look of modern homes. They have this, this uniqueness to them. And it's more comforting to me than some more traditional looks or the old homes. And I say that to say, I say all that because the Becker's home is beautiful. It has this contemporary, sleek, nice look to it. And even, man, the, the set design in there, once again, still had those those blues, those creams, the browns with the large open floor space and the large green, the large windows allowing you to see the green landscape behind so in the becker's home it's like the perfect merge of all of the colors and even one of the paintings happened to have um somebody what looks like a woman diving into a pool or ocean and that had a pop of red you know and then allison's character um the lip gloss or whatever you call it has a a, a a pinkish hue which has a little bit of that red feel as well i really loved the scene, watching that scene with them, first of all, it was funny, but the colors and the design of the home and the layout was just relaxing. It just felt, it felt nice. You know what I mean? And, and it didn't feel forced. You could tell these people have a lot of money, um, that they might be, that Percy is probably definitely privileged. You know, at this point, they've already talked about the Princeton thing, which is typically, you know, you got you probably going to have a little bit of money to do that or, you know, n at least at the least know and have connections because it's one of those legacy schools, you know. But what I really like about the set design for the Beckers is because, once again, these are supposed to be uh, essentially a privileged couple, you know, uh, 
Maddie's character talks about like the rich folks coming in, et cetera, et cetera. So almost like their vacation homes and maybe kind of ruining things. Now, I don't know if the Becker family, if this is their vacation home or just their regular home. They didn't really specify for that. But what I liked about the set design for their home is that these are privileged people to have so much money and they can just give away a car and they're also, you know, typically to the, I guess, the people who aren't as privileged or financially well off, you know, then oftentimes people who just do stuff with their money are kind of sort of, especially if they're supposedly privileged in films, then a lot of time they're like not the best people. And with that being said, the parents were trying to essentially, um, I don't know, are the parents whoring out their son or whoring her out or whoring both of them out to make him become a man, which is kind of a foul, like fucked up thing to do <laughs> for your kid. Like I get it. You want your kid to grow up, but it's also because your parenting that forced him to be the person or definitely allowed him to grow into the person that he is at the beginning of the film. So in theory, like the parents, probably not the best people. They're helicopter people, they're privileged. They, I don't know, maybe it's because they didn't sp spend a lot of time with him that he is the way he is. All of these things, but because of the set design for it, it puts you at ease for the conversation that they're having with Maddie, which can be really awkward and weird. Like, hey, I want you to lie to my son and have sex with my son so he can become more of a man and then i'm gonna give you a car is that cool like that's a fucked up thing to say you know what i mean but the way the color palette and the way everything looked it did not feel as bad as it sounded to my ears you know <laughs> um so anyway that's my opinion on that um as far as costuming i man they they knocked it out of the park every character in here had their look um, we talked about Laird. Laird had this almost uh, maybe rich uh, early retiree kind of feel. So he had the the linen kind of outfit uh, or either or like the light sweater. But it had that white. Once again, sea breezy. I own a yacht kind of feel with the blues. And then you, of course, had Percy that I don't even really know how to describe uh, his outfit, but you know, the, in, the incredibly short shorts, uh, I like the fact like we first meet him, he has anime. So, I, and I don't know how old, uh, Percy's the, the, the real actor, Andrew Barth Fieldman. I don't know how old he is, but between his acting and the costume design, it really helped sell his naivete. Um, which once again, that comes down to not only was did his acting help sell that, but if the costume designer did not pick appropriate wardrobe, it would be harder to sell. So bravo to that. And then even going into Jennifer Aniston's character. Oh, shit. I just said. And even going into Maddie, um, I loved her versatility in clothes. Right. So towards the end of the film, she was doing the jeans and and t-shirt feel which very much felt in line with her character in general even from the beginning but they really kind of showcased it at the end so that was her natural state of being and when she's trying to impress people like she wore the 
Uh, when she went to go meet the Beckers, she's supposed to be 32, but she wants to kind of sort of at least visually appear younger. So she shows up with the blue sundress that I talked about earlier, which makes her look a little bit younger. Right. And then she goes and meets Percy at the adopt the dog or the pet adoption. What are the, what are those things called? It's not like a dog house. Anyway, you know, where you go and adopt pets and shit. Um, but then she shows up there in like this uh, dark pink or pinkish red fuchsia. I don't know. Something like that. Maybe fuchsia. Uh, cocktail dress, essentially. Summer cocktail dress. How about that? Which definitely adds a sex appeal to her character. You know, shows off her curves and everything else. But then once again, you have it's in that vein of red. So it shows that fieriness and she's being very forward um, in her mannerisms and her, her verbalizing when she's talking to Percy. I thought that was nice. That was fun. The dress had a flirty feel to it. Um, yeah, so that was really cool, right? And then, of course, like she has the prom dress, which looks really nice in it. But once again, that prom dress, if I recall correctly, I think it had like a, was it like a blush? Which, you know, I think that will fall into the realm of reds. It's just like a really pale red, right? Or pale pink. I don't know. Champagne. I don't know. Once colors get like, to you know what's interesting about colors is that i was reading a thing that everybody can't perceive the same spectrum of color so that's wild to me and also kind of cool i'm I, I i digress um but that i thought it was cool and then of course you had jim who was maddie's uh maddie's co-worker's husband who had a very surfer like outfits you know um it was cool and percy like i said percy outfits are probably some of my favorites especially when he shows up at the bar in the uh <laughs> in the tie and dinner coat not even sport coat a dinner coat and he's walking through and everybody's kind of looking at him and i was looking at him first of all like why do you show up in a bar with this outfit on and then they uh do the uh the gag the camera gag reveal of him with these um shorts on akin to you know like when like if a middle schooler or whatever went to a boarding school that had a uniform, it was the feel that I got when I saw him. And I liked it. It was cool. That was a nice moment. It was a nice touch. And then towards the end, as he's grown into himself, then he's wearing like a, a pullover sweater, like the zipper pullover sweater with some slacks. And it's still that transition of the character. I thought that was really, really nice. I love the costume design in this show. It was amazing. And I also like the, I'm not big, when I say I'm not big, I don't know much about like women hairstyles and everything else, but this one really stuck out. So shout out to the um, wardrobe department and also the makeup, the hair and makeup department, because I really loved what they did with her hair. And I, I don't often talk about this because, because I'm not well versed in it, right? Um, I couldn't tell you truly, wait, eyeliner and, what's the eyeliner and, um, eyeshadow or whatever i don't know like one goes on the eye on the 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 edges of your eyelids and then the other goes and was i just learned see i think i think eyeliners want to go on the edges i don't know i don't you know that's what that's my point my point is is that i'm not an expert at all and i'm incredibly ignorant about makeup stuff right and hair stuff 
which is funny because a couple of times I've directed in the past and some of my female um, actresses would ask me, hey, how do you want my hair? And I have no idea how to say it. I have an idea in my head. So I give a, a horrible description of what I'm thinking. And then I normally ask like, hey, would you mind just sending me a couple pictures? This is especially when I did um, theater. Like, could you play around with a couple of them like this and send them to me? And then something you think. And then that's normally how I picked out the hairstyle I wanted them to have. But I really loved what they did with her hair. Like, even in the beginning, um, so she's wearing longer hair for this one. So when she goes and meets him, her hair is nice and freshly, you know, brushed or what have you. But after she's doing the rollerblade and the hair is a mess and then her hair when she's at the prom is a different look. I just like it because it um, and I wonder, I would assume it would be fun, especially your uh, hair stylist or whatever working on the film. Because sometimes you get into films and you're in the hair and makeup department or what have you. And you're essentially just keeping the actor's hair the same throughout the entire film. And I would imagine that if you enjoy doing hair and you worked on this film, it would be kind of cool to do different hairstyles, you know? And I think they executed it very well, extremely well. And, I, and speaking of hair, last time I talked about hair, I really liked um, Matthew Broderick's Laird's hair. I've never seen him with hair like that. It was a nice, cool look. Well, okay, I get behind this look for Matthew. Anyway, so that's going to pretty much do it for art stuff that I could think about. But I want to jump into um, lighting and camera. Um, this is one of those films, once again, I talk about all the time, like natural momentum and movement from a camera standpoint, nothing was forced or, um, beautiful just for beautiful sake. You know, especially this is supposed, supposed to be a story that takes place around, um, a dock and, a Montauk, a seaside city or oceanside city or what have you. And sometimes some films will just hit you over the head with here's some pictures of the ocean. Here's the pictures of some seagulls or whatever the hell, you know what I mean? And this one didn't. I appreciated that a whole, whole, whole lot. That was a nice touch. Um, all of the camera work was nicely done. I mentioned some of the visual gags they used for camera when they showed her, uh, her, oh man, I don't know. I was going to say rapey, but I don't know if that's a proper thing to say anymore in 2023. But the the weird van, the rapey van, like the stay away from this van kind of deal. When they show that, that was a cool visual gag. The visual gag at the um, at the bar to reveal his shorts was hilarious. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that one. There's also the gag of when they were talking about the van smelling like mace. And then they... um do a swish pan to reveal the lobster claw uh, car from the business. That was a nice touch. So they did a lot of nice things with camera work. I also really liked the scene in the limo when Percy gets out after trying to guzzle vermouth <laughs> and he gets out of the limo and you just see her in the limo by herself. Something about that shot, number one, being a frame within a frame. It was a sexy shot and it was cool. For those who are unaware, I don't know if I already touched on this. So a frame within a frame, if you're watching a film, when you're watching the film, you got to think about your TV is automatically framing the the, the, the picture for you, the, the film. So that is a frame itself. So what you see already is a frame. 
So when you hear or talk about frame within the frame, that means that the DP, the producers, the directors or what have you are deciding to place other elements within that already existing frame to help frame the action or something even further. And what I mean by that is if you imagine you're watching a show and the camera shows two people standing and talking and on once behind and they're facing each other, right? So they're in the middle of the screen facing each other and behind the person on the left, there's a telephone pole and behind the person on the right, there's another telephone pole. Those two telephone poles are acting as a frame within the larger scope of the picture. Okay. So that's what that means. Um, so if you watch the film, when Percy got out and left Maddie in the car and they, sh it was shot from the exterior, the outside into the limo and she was there by herself the car door acted as a frame and then the frame of the tv so frame within the frame anywho back to that so i if i say stuff that people like some of the feedback i've gotten is that people who listen may not know some of the more technical terms so i apologize if i'm breaking and you already know it but for those who may be new or not necessarily know the filmic terms then that's why i want to kind of do it so you kind of understand and hopefully take something away from this so anyway but the camera moves were really nice. Um, I enjoyed them. They weren't, they just felt right, you know, and they did have the only time that I feel like they focused or tried to get a beauty shot, so to speak, was at the end, which is the whole um, sunset situation when they're driving off to start their new lives. That was, of course, you know, with a film like this, you kind of kind of got to have it. So that was a given and it was nice. But man, the this there was a scene like maybe 10 minutes before that. And it was actually a scene of the beach. Fucking beautiful. Like because what it was, it wasn't like a shot of the ocean. You know, it they chose to show a shot of the beach as the water was coming in, essentially dissecting the frame in half. So you had this diagonal line going from um, your top third to your bottom third of this ocean breaking onto the uh, sand, the beach. And then you had this beautiful sun in the background as that shimmered off of the water. And I was watching, I was like, wow, that is a beautiful shot. But I appreciated that it was just done right there and not consistently but it was well man it was sexy it was a sexy sexy shot <laughs> um from a lighting standpoint same thing man the lighting in here was well done um it elicited once again that seaside feel for a lot of the exteriors it very much felt like beach like i've, I've been i've been to the beach a couple of times and it has this and, and I'm guessing it has a lot to do with the, the light reflecting off of the clouds and the water, et cetera, et cetera. It has this different lighting scheme that you don't really get in cities, of course, or even the countryside. You know, a country, you have a lot of the you might get sun and greens and everything else. But that light off of the, the ocean and the water, it just kind of turns everything bluish, if that makes sense. But also not like a bright for at least for me, the times I've gone, but also not like a bright blue, like a th this weird pale blue gray 
but it's beautiful. I know that sounds weird describing it like that. That's the only way I can think about it, or at least the times I've gone to the beach. But I also don't go to the beach in the middle of the damn summer where it's hot as shit and there's a lot of damn people and kids screaming. So I just don't do that. So <laughs> I try to go in the in the non-peak times. So, but this felt that way, which is coincidental because it's supposed to be in the summertime. Whatever. Um, I really liked the beach, the the lighting they used for that, and even at night. When they used the lighting for the nighttime, that was beautifully done. I loved the lighting when they introduced Laird and Allison's character. The way the light hit off of his hair and they almost presented them at a, um, and this is going to be a combination of camera and lighting, but the lighting was beautiful and well done and they were kind of backlit. So backlit meaning light coming from behind um, folks who don't, who are not privy to it. So it gave them a, 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 a almost an, an angelic and angelic glow, especially since they had the the linen whites on, you know, and then they were perched higher. She was lower, which to me, from a camera perspective, kind of shows the difference in the socioeconomic status. I don't know if that was purposeful, but they clearly they live up on a hill, which is typically where people who are more financially wealthy live. So they live up on a hill where she had to skate up the hill. And then after she got to the top of said hill, the house was on another hill. So she had to go up the driveway hill. And then after she got there, they were up on a higher plane of the house. This, I don't know, second story of the house. I don't know how rich people houses work. I don't have that. I'm in a one, one bedroom apartment. You know what I'm saying? But I'm um, not complaining. <laughs> But then they had them still up higher, which was a nice choice for me from a camera's perspective. Maybe that's not what they were thinking, but they were on a higher socioeconomic status. She was definitely down her luck. She needs the money. She needs something from them. And then there's even the dialogue where she says, um, are, are you guys going to come down here? Or you want me to come up there? And they're like, oh, no, no, you come up here once again, kind of really um, driving home that they, number one, see themselves as better but not in a in a asshole kind of way but she was in in line skates so they could have met her she also could have took them off but they also had like a, a charcuterie board um set up inside so they had to eventually come away but for me for me um what i would have done if i was laird is i would have come down to meet her and then we all walked up there but that's from my thinking but once again this is showcasing the difference in their socioeconomic status. Thought that was a really cool camera um, um, blocking. So, yeah, really liked it. Um, the, and like I said, that moonlit beach scene was beautifully done. I, now, the only thing I think I did have, the only issue I had with that, so to speak, was I did feel as though the... What I'm assuming is supposed to be the the moonlight. I do feel as though it kind of s switched. Okay, what I mean by that is um, when they were in the water, the moonlight was hitting them from where the camera angle is. So the camera is to the right. They're looking. They're looking camera right, and the camera's off to their left shoulder, and the moonlight was seemed to be striking their left side right but a lot of the beach action anything that happened on the beach the lighting was actually hitting from 
um, camera left and their right shoulders. And when I say camera left, camera right is if you're looking at the film, you're the audience member and you're looking at the film, that frame, if lighting's coming from the left, then you, 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 your face is the camera. So camera left means left side, camera right means right side. Okay. But yeah, so I did have an issue with that. Um, once again, not enough to ruin the movie, but it was like, okay, well, 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 well the moonlight's coming from this direction or that direction. And it, I feel as though it kind of switched, um, for no reason, almost, um, according to how the camera was. So that's just me, you know, but once again, what do I know? It still didn't ruin it. It's just a little, little thing that I felt was like, okay, that moved. That's interesting. I wonder why they chose to do that. Yeah. All right, let's take a little break. All right, we are back. I talked about art. I talked about the camera lighting. I want to talk about sound. Uh, this score was great. The sound design was great. I loved it a great deal. But what I really loved was this soundtrack, guys. This soundtrack was pretty fucking awesome. I found myself um, dancing, so to speak, while watching this in my seat like I didn't stand up and like walk around and have a dance party but I definitely enjoyed the music it was great and I also feel as though the the music definitely painted the story it was trying to tell as well it was it was um it was fun uh it was uh had this energy this light energy about it I really liked it I thought it was cool man it was well done well done. I enjoyed it. I don't have a whole, whole lot to say about it other than that I liked it. It was pretty, pretty impressive. Also, uh, since I'm not going to talk about sound that much, I do want to, I don't talk about stunts a whole lot because all films don't have stunts, but I did enjoy the stunts in this film. Um, and I feel as though they attribute it to the film. Uh, like the first one of the bigger ones, I guess. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I wanted to, well... Yeah, one of the bigger ones would be when Percy's character got on the hood of the car and was holding on for dear life in the nude. Thought that was a nice touch of number one humor and absurdity, but also almost showing his determinism in the vein of what I think is interesting about that character at that point in time is that he has this shell around him, this safety net that he felt so unsafe without having that he put his safety in jeopardy. <laughs> it's like, that's a, that's an interesting thing for the character. Not in a bad way. It was like, okay, that's a thing, but I liked it. It was kind of cool. And that was a nice little stunt gag. I mean, bravo to Percy for, if that was him for having the, the cheeks out. It's interesting because I I don't know, like, as of now, I don't have, I pretty much, for my, my acting submissions and stuff, I put no nudity, and that's because often I feel like stories, and most stories can be told without nudity, right? I truly, truly believe that, uh, guy or girl, right? Um, and I understand why they had it. And it makes sense in the scope of this film because the clothes are taken 
and he didn't have time to put on clothes. So it wasn't nudity for nudity's sake. So that's why I was like, okay, I can appreciate this. What I really appreciate this as well is um, Jennifer Lawrence, Maddie, or Jennifer Lawrence being the producer and the lead of this. She also had a nude scene, right? Um, and I like the fact because like if you're Percy and like, okay, hypothetically speaking, right? If, if I was cast in this film and she's a producer and she's going to be and like I said, I have a no nudity clause in my thing and what have you. But if she's like, I'm going to be nude, then you can't really complain. Like, all right, well, the producer said it. And even more so as a woman, she has more of a chance of being sexualized than this guy, Percy, who is supposed to come across as a nerd and supposed to come across as unattractive and unsure of himself. Right. And the fact that she was bold enough to do it, then that. Then if I was cast for the Percy character, I feel as though like, well, fuck it. I guess I got to, you know what I mean? So it was like, all right, I guess, I guess, uh, you know, um, but anyway, going back to the stunt. So that was an interesting stunt to do. And then he supposedly did it naked or nude, whether that was him or not. Not quite sure. Hopefully it was him. I feel as though if it was him, that would be kind of cool. Um, only because not only cool, but fair because she did an entire fight choreography scene in the nude let's backtrack a little bit to the the beach the skinny dipping scene number one i don't think i would ever skinny dip because what's interesting is i was watching it and they went at night to the beach and beach water is fucking always cold even if it's summertime it's pretty cool because it's it's fucking water it's a lot of it and it's constantly it's the whole thing i'm not a scientist okay but the gym character uh played by scott scott mcauther had mentioned how cold it was but then they went skinny dip. I was like, whoa, that's going to be really cold. Also, I thought it was interesting um, that he was like, okay, I'm getting here. I mean, I get it. She was nude. And if I was in his shoes, I'd probably be like, well, fuck, let's go. But also it was interesting because his character was supposed to be so reserved. Then that did give me room for Paul's like, would he so easily just jump in? I'm assuming from a character standpoint, that's definitely his thought process. Like, okay, well, fuck it. Alrighty, so we're gonna get into my favorite part. You know what? What's interesting about this is I do find that um, comedies tend to move a little bit faster um, from a filming standpoint, watching standpoint, but also the reviews. So I kind of this was an interesting film um, because <laughs> to the point that even when I was just talking about some of the more technical aspects of the film, I ended up getting into some more subjective aspects as well too. So now I'm trying to like think in my head. Is there something else that I didn't already accidentally spill over into saying? Um, so I start off by saying blanket statement. I enjoyed this film. Um, unfortunately, now I'm not a, the biggest comedy romance uh, film watcher because most of them are predictable. Right. And I, I think a lot of time you can't really break the mode, but so much with this particular genre, like I do enjoy comedies, right? Just, if something is just a comedy, but romance comedies kind of sort of go along the same path. So that's why I'm not a, the biggest fan of them. I don't watch a whole lot of them. In fact, I ended up watching uh, the breakup with uh, Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston a while ago in the movie theater when I actually worked at the movie theater and I watched it romantic comedy, laughed, had fun. 
And spoiler alert for anybody who haven't watched it, uh, at the end of the film, they just broke the fuck up. And I remember being in the theater and I was looking at the screen and then I looked behind me because I was curious at what the other audience members and moviegoers were thinking or what their expression was because they broke up. They didn't get back together. And I was floored in the best way possible. Like, I think like if I had to put the breakup on the scale of one to 10, it might have been like a six, seven or something like that. But when they didn't get back together, that to me took it up another level. It finished off with like an eight or so, right? Because it wasn't, it's not a thing that typically happens. And it didn't, it didn't end in, in a dour mood either. It was okay. They broke up. They're going to be friends. They're moving on with their life. And I thought that was cool. And that doesn't happen often in romantic comedies. Um, for this one, it went more so in the in the same direction of where I thought it was going. The only thing that did kind of change was like I was like, OK, are they going to end up together in this film? And that's where I thought it was going to go. And I I'm curious if it would have went that way, if it wasn't such a big spread in their age right because officially he's an adult he's 19 i wonder if that's why they chose not to go that way but either way i'm happy it didn't so it still went mostly in the way of where it was going to go kind of predictable um he taught her lessons she taught her lessons she learned how to love people but it's more of a platonic uh kind of love and she learned how to embrace who she was and get out of her shell and she helped him embrace who he was and get out of his shell it's all kind of par for the course when it comes to romantic comedies, which is why I don't typically watch them. Sometimes when you do um, comedies, especially like this, some of them often tend to turn slapstick a bit or a bit uh, low hanging fruit, you know, fart jokes and dick jokes and everything else. And um, I... And I don't mean like, you, you know what I mean? Like it turns to, to be maybe a little too raunchy unnecessarily, but this one didn't come off as raunchy to me, even though she has the whole fight scene and he's asked out on the hood of the car. None of it seemed raunchy. Um, I like, I loved her character by her. I mean, Jen Florence, Maddie, um, because it's what's interesting is that she had this I don't know was it false confidence because yeah she was in the shell and too afraid clearly her past trauma stopped her from uh truly blooming <laughs> for lack of a better term into who she could truly be so she was stunted and of course Percy is stunted because of the I guess you can possibly say the trauma that his his helicopter parents have inflicted on him. But um, what I did like was that even though she had this block uh, of. Her block came more so to being affectionate with other people, you know, a, so a bit of a trust issue um, dealing with, you know, her backstory that she told in the film. Uh, she had the friend and then her husband fiance uh that she worked with, you know the friend she worked with that the lobster claw 
So it was interesting because her character was confident and self-conscious at the same time. And I really thought that was an interesting dichotomy to show in a film like this. And I think Miss J-Law pulled it off effortlessly. Uh, this is one of the first films I've seen her in doing something like this. Now, of course, because of the film she's done in the past, this film, I don't feel as though this film will typecast her or, or pigeonhole her. And I feel as though she can be more experimental and do films she wants to do more, you know, just for fun. Not saying that she didn't have fun on the other films, but she can do a movie like this because she's Jennifer Lawrence. Right. But if she did something like this coming out, how? then unfortunately, I think a lot of people would perceive her as different. I think, uh, who is it? Will Smith. I was watching an interview with Will Smith and he, no, was it Will Smith? No, sorry. It was Denzel or Denzel, how it's supposed to apparently be pronounced. So Denzel Washington was talking about, uh, Sidney Poitier being a mentor of his. And when he first started, he called up Sidney Poitier about this film that he was offered a role for. And it was something that he didn't feel quite comfortable doing. And he mentioned that Sidney Poitier said uh, to him, and don't, this isn't a direct quote, but, so it's a, a summary. But essentially, the first, you know, couple of movies, three, four, five movies that you do, like, and I don't mean like movies like I'm doing with a couple lines here, there are day player roles. I mean, like, big supporting characters or lead characters the first three four five movies that you do is going to be how the industry will see you for the rest of your career or for most of your career and you have to work so essentially you have to work that much harder to break out of that mold and i thought that was an inter and with that being said denzel turned down the role and ended up doing oh shit i can't remember the name of the movie but i thought that was a pretty cool like word of advice to give to a young actor and i say all that to say because Jennifer Lawrence has done her body of work is so impressive um, that she has the freedom now to do films like this without being typecast. You know, the Hunger Games Silver Lining Playbook, which was, you know, big American hustle and et cetera, et cetera. And her range that she can do a movie like this and then just keep on doing something else. You know what I mean? And just turn around and do a dramatic another dramatic movie like Mother, which was amazing. Uh, so that was cool. And once again, it's her acting ability and her charisma that allowed her to play both that confident and not confident person. I loved um, how she wasn't afraid to say what she wanted to, what she was thinking or feeling as long as it didn't involve like emotional love or connection, but other stuff like she just said what she wanted to, she wanted to, she wanted to go skinny dipping. Fine. All right. And then like how she was trying to essentially have sex with this teenager which can sound like on the page sounds kind of horrible but the way she balanced it it wasn't fucking creep it didn't seem creepy at least to me it was humorous and it wasn't uh sophomoric so once again that uh, to me that just kind of shows the the skill that she has because that's a tight rope to walk not like the rope is tight, but like a tight rope that people walk like circus anyway. So yeah, that was, that was really cool. Um, and Mr. Andrew Barth Feldman, man, I really, really look forward to seeing him and other stuff. He knocked it out of the park on this. And 
because I'm not sometimes I feel as though sometimes like um like pe- a lot of people know because I've mentioned it before I'm not the biggest fan of like Jesse Eisenberg right um I feel as though now I, I think he's better than Michael Sarah but those two I'm not the biggest fan of their work because I feel as though it's somewhat stilted in their performance and is kind of sort of just doing the same is not is not layered often but Andrew Barth Feldman number one has a lot of charisma but I also feel even though he did a a stereotypical role you know of of some of these angsty teen comedies that used to come out this is what it kind of felt like it felt like a throwback to that he still layered it where it didn't feel like he was just doing one note you know that was really cool so enjoyable and um i really i laughed a lot at some of his performances and his just reactions he did a good job this was great casting jennifer lawrence and this guy they had great chemistry at least it seemed like they had great chemistry and like i said i love her just badass and it's like kicking a, do- a hole in the door akin to uh was it um here's johnny uh, the Shining. So she did like a little Shining kind of deal. She gets punched in the throat by him accidentally. It's just like fucking stupid shit. She's holding his hair back. And it's also interesting because it's almost like a, a a gender swap, right? So in the night, I was talking about films like this in the early 90s, the late 90s and early aughts and stuff. And oftentimes, like, uh, like, it was like, oh, I bet you, you can't 10 things I hate about you and all those kind of films. Right. And it was the guy was the cool, more assured person who helped the woman come out of herself and out of her shell and all that bullshit. It was a swap for this. So it felt, felt very of the times. And I liked it for that because it wasn't the more confident guy giving the woman confidence. That bullshit. It was this super confident woman helping this guy become who he wanted to be. And I thought that was cool. So I, that was, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just watched the punch scene again. I told you I watched this while I'm recording. The punch scene is just fucking hilarious. It's so stupid. And the stunts, man, she does a great job doing shit like this. I really, I really genuinely hope I see her do she does. I, I don't know if I want to see her do it all the time because I love the range and her acting ability. But seeing her do more films like this would be fucking cool. It's just like I enjoyed their performances so much. So, so much. I definitely think you should watch it. And like I said, it's not as it's not as I think the most raunchy thing happened. And also <laughs> like when she, you know, the predictable at the end, the guy's off and she's like finding out, oh, I've changed. Then she's like trying to make out this guy to have like a one night stand like she used to do back in the day. Um, And she's sitting there and they're trying to make out. She start asking questions and kind of like what Percy was doing, like trying to get to know her more. And uh, the finger trap callback comes. So the finger trap was bought at the arcade or whatever and kind of shown her, you know, adverse reaction to anything affectionate and being stuck which was a nice fucking night. Good job, guys. That was such a nice way the whole show don't tell. Yeah, she already told about, you know, her affection and um, commitment issues or phobia or whatever. But that finger trap was such a nice way to showcase 
her fear of attachment by physically attaching people together. That was fucking cool. Anyway, the callback happened after she was making out with the guy on the couch and she closes her eyes. And I'm like, oh, they're about to do the finger thing again. And then that's going to make her realize. But no, he put his dick in there, which was weird because to me, I didn't even laugh about it. What I like is that they didn't show the dick or balls, which is what, you know, something in the 90s or early 2000s would have did to try to get a sophomore giggle. It just you just knew that's what was happening. But what I found interesting for that is I didn't really laugh at it personally more so i was just thinking how did you get your dick to fit in that like how how because like a finger fits into a finger trap and for those i don't know if y'all have ever used a finger trap if anybody's listening but it's like this little well if you see if you saw the movie then you see it but think about like you know uh the coin wrappers that like pennies come in and shit right the reason i hate doing those because i can barely jam my fucking finger into those little coin wrappers and that's what the finger trap is it's like a woven coin wrapper that stretches when you pull it and then it compresses when you push it that's fantastic some crazy black magic technology right but i'm in my mind i'm like okay I get this gag is supposed to be funny, but how does one's dick fit into something that is finger size? And then also I'm thinking, well, good on you, Jennifer Lawrence, for kicking him out because you probably wanted no part of that if his dick can fit in something that small. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry. I was just, that was that was my thought, which is why I didn't laugh. I mean, I'm laughing now that I'm describing it. But when it happened, I was like. But how? How? And those things aren't easy to break either, by the way. Like, at least from what I recall. But even if it could break, how did? How? Anyway, um, I, uh, I'm i going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this film, like I, I've mentioned a couple of times. It, even though I knew somewhat where it was heading, the the road to how it got there was pretty interesting. It was fresh for me, at least once I said the whole role reversal, gender swapping nature of it. I also loved um, seeing Jennifer Lawrence being funny and doing her own stunts or somewhat of her own stunts and being funny in that capacity. It's the same thing. Like I love her work in general, but she is becoming one of my favorite, like, crossover actors so to speak so somebody who could do really dramatic work but when they do a comedy is so fucking good and she's at the top of my list after this film where she's not a comedic actress but she does comedy at least for this one really really well you know um she did do another comedy as well too I'm, i'm losing track of what it's called but she did a good job in that but her and ryan gosling right now are my two favorite dramatic actors that when they get into comedy it's like fucking electric, man. I love it. And I love their awkwardness and the, the small stunts they do with these roles. So once again, good job um, to the leads in this film. Andrew Barth Feldman. I'm definitely going to be looking out for your shit, man. I'm, I'm saying that like he's listening to it. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be looking out for more of his work. And I really hope that Jennifer Lawrence had a good time on this and that this film is well received so I can see her do other things akin to this. Not necessarily the same character, but something akin to this. That'll be fun. That'll be cool. So yeah. Anywho, thank you everybody for listening to this week's uh, <laughs> podcast on Flicks and Scripts, where we broke down No Hard Feelings, available on Netflix that came out in 2023. Thank you guys so much for 
listening to me, uh, make sure you do me a favor. If you enjoyed this one or any of them, you know, rate me five stars, share, like, promote it. Tell your friends, tell your family. You know what? Like download all of them that I've done thus far and then like put them on like a USB drive or into your Google Drive or whatever. And then send them to somebody as a Christmas gift coming up for next uh, month. Boom. You know, you're welcome. I'm like Santa Claus. I'm giving gift ideas everywhere. You're welcome, guys. But no, seriously, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed. I really enjoyed this film. Uh, Yeah. And I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much from everybody here at Flix and Scripts with Jay Starks. And by everybody, I mean myself. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Uh, Go out, you know, like Jennifer Lawrence is doing this whatever I crossover roll or whatever you want to call it was cool because once again, like art comes in many different forms. Right. And they tapped into it with this one from the production design standpoint to their artistic approach, both characters, uh, both actors on presenting their characters. Well done, man. I, this is why I love filmmaking. This is why I love movies. This is why I love TV and all of it because it's such a beautiful collaborative art and everything has to work in tandem to make it work you know and it's a hard thing to do and there's a lot of hard-working people out there and i'm happy the writer strike is over and i'm hoping the sag after strike is over and i'm just hoping in general that people will really grow um you know th- these big producers that are just pocketing all the money i hope they really understand how important it is to see people do what they do best. Whether not it's an actor, a writer, a director, production designer, who all kicked ass on this film. Like, AI isn't going to be able to do the things that this whole crew of people did. Even down to the grips, the electric department, the sound mixer, the boom operator. This film, the editor, composer, etc. This film wouldn't be what it is if not for the hard, arduous work that all of them did. 10, 12-hour shifts. And I know a lot of times we watch movies and we just see an actor. But the actors can't do it without other people, without the crew. So go out there, get yourself a crew if you're a filmmaker, make some shit, make art, because art is love. Peace, everybody. <laughs>